0: Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast.
1: We are at a difficult time in this country. All around us in the Twitterverse and planet Facebook, people pick a side. They cling to their cultural and political tribes. Instead of well-formed arguments, unfounded accusations are made. Names are thrown at each other like it's it's fourth grade recess time. What a relief it is, then, to talk with someone about how collaboration across aisles and across professions is still pushing this country forward for better health care. Welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. Today, we are happy and relieved to talk to Mary Greeley, president of the Healthcare Leadership Council, an organization where health plans sit down with providers where the political goals are bipartisan and for the greater health of this country and where commercial and government collaboration is kindled, advocated, and urged forward. I'm your host, Matthew Albright, and I serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. My day job as Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. And in our virtual studio, we've got the producer of this podcast, Michael McNutt, Director of Education and Events for Weedy. Michael, how are you doing today? Did I scare you with that intro again? Does that
0: too No, not at all. This time you ended with collaboration, so very positive.
1: Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, it is, uh, you know, it is holiday time. So it is time for bringing us together. Like I said, in our virtual studio today, we have Mary Greeley, President of Healthcare Leadership Council. Mary has been with the Healthcare Leadership Council for over a decade now. Before that, she was counsel with the American Hospital Association. And before that, she was COO and counsel to the Federal, what is it? Federation of American Hospitals. I think I might have gotten that wrong. Mary, we are very excited to talk to you today, and it's great to have you on our show.
2: Well, Matthew, I'm delighted to be joining you today, and uh, thank you for the great description of the Healthcare Leadership Council. Um, and I sort of refer to myself as the Boutrous Boutrous golly of healthcare, um, oh. get those disparate groups together.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, well, how you describe the organization, it definitely sounds like that. Um, uh, to start off on the show, we 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 like to find out how uh, thought leaders like yourself have gotten uh, brought into this industry. All superheroes have an ori- origin story, and and I understand that you are actually a speech path- speech speech there. Say I can't say it. Speech pathologist at some time is is that right?
2: Uh, yes, that is what I studied in college, and I was a speech pathologist for five years, both in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and the Washington D.C. area and enjoyed it thoroughly before I decided to go to law school. And And, and
1: how did you go from speech pathology to now walking the halls of Congress and advocating for better healthcare?
2: Well, I enjoyed being a speech pathologist, but um, I decided I wanted something with a little more flexibility. And I thought a law degree would allow me to do that. And frankly, I thought I would either be a tax lawyer or a labor lawyer. Instead, I wound up doing an internship On Capitol Hill for Dan Rostenkowski, who at that time was the chairman of the Ways and Means Subcommittee on Health and worked on health legislation, really enjoyed it, and then went to the Federation of American Hospitals.
1: Very good. Uh, Great story. Great story. And and we talked a little bit about the Healthcare Leadership Council. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the Healthcare Leadership Council, what they've been up to lately, and maybe what you're most excited about that they're doing?
2: Well, we are a very unique trade association here in Washington, D.C. Our members are CEOs of different healthcare companies and organizations, both for profit and not for profit. But as you described it, we represent all the different sectors of healthcare. So we have health systems, we have payers, we have the medical device and pharmaceutical manufacturers, health information technology companies, post acute care, pharmacy. Um, so, as you can see, it really is the whole spectrum of healthcare, And the most exciting thing that we are working on right now, and had been working on uh, at least a year before the pandemic hit, was disaster preparedness and response. And uh, it has been a real opportunity for all of the sectors to work together. We've seen how the private sector has been, I think, a great partner Um, with the public sector in trying to address this pandemic, Um, and the initiative that we're doing includes not only our HLC members, uh, but also other associations and government representatives to really make sure that we are much better prepared for the next disaster, whether it be a pandemic or a natural disaster. And uh, we'll be releasing that plan. We're working with Mark McClellan and the Duke Margolis Health Policy Center uh, to get that issued by uh, early next year.
1: Wow, very good, very good. Looking forward to that. And and you you touched on uh, this idea of collaboration between the commercial sector and uh, government sector. And we've this subject comes up quite a bit in this show. Uh, you know, what what is the role of the government here? Is it is it the carrot and the stick? Is it that they do regulations that push uh, commercial uh, or regulations or reports or whatever that that push the, the commercial industry to do things, or should the commercial industry work that up itself and then come to the government as a last respect? Anyway, may, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, specifically with the dis- disaster preparedness
2: report. Well, I'm a big believer in incentives. Uh, I think the government plays an important role, perhaps, in helping to guide activities. But what we don't want is having the government stifle the innovation that you find in the public sector. So I'm okay with rules of the road, but really it's important to let the private sector flourish in terms of coming up with a variety of ways to solve and address problems. Uh, I think we've seen that in the area of interoperability, something I know is a critical issue for your members. Um, Today, HHS is going to be releasing rules that we've been working on for quite a while, uh, the stark anti-kickback fraud abuse rules, where they are going to ease those regulations in a way that will allow for much uh, more value-based care. Um, So it's just a way of saying that the government really can provide incentives, can stimulate and help the private sector be innovative. Uh, But what we don't want is them sort of standing in the way of that innovation. Um, And I have to say this administration has really been a great collaborator in coming to the private sector, whether it be on uh, privacy, interoperability, these fraud abuse rules and asking, what are the regulatory barriers that are in the way of you doing a better job at developing a much more patient-centered system. Um, And we look forward to having that same collaboration with the future administration as well.
1: Very, very good. And and, um, the uh, anti-kickback announcement that you just made, that's very interesting. Tell us just to us a little bit about uh, that and tell us why that might facilitate interoperability.
2: Well, these are rules that were developed uh, during a fee-for-service environment uh, decades ago. And you know, it sort of made sense that when you have a system that pays you more for the more you do, as opposed to paying you for the outcomes that you might get for a particular patient, uh, those rules made sense when we were in that fee for service volume-based environment. But now as we're trying to get providers, payers, manufacturers, everyone moving to a much more patient-centered Outcome based, value based healthcare system, uh, these rules were establishing artificial barriers. And the penalties were so severe exclusion from the Medicare and Medicaid programs that it really inhibited a lot of the activity that both the government and the private sector wanted to encourage. So it's been a long, arduous process uh, getting this sorted out and making sure that we have the appropriate balance of maintaining enforcement. But again, allowing the providers, patients, and others in the healthcare system, the flexibility that they need to do a much better job at reducing cost but improving the quality of healthcare. So we are really excited. And um, this administration, as I said, has been a a really great partner in working through that. um, And we hope to continue that work.
1: Thank you. That that clarifies it. Now, is this a proposed rule or is this a, a final rule or is it an announcement? Or is that, what, this, is,
2: this is a final rule. It has been several years in the making, um, and it was just cleared and released by OMB, and so HHS will be making that announcement today.
1: Very exciting. Very exciting. Um, uh, what struck me, uh, that, that about the healthcare leadership council, and, and maybe this announcement is, is an example of that is, is the fact that you are getting, um, uh, many different entities of the healthcare, uh, industry together, but specifically, you know, payers and carriers. And you said in an interview, uh, once that, um, they have to check their weapons at the door when they come in. I love that line, I love that image. Um, how does that work and and how do you find shared goals, uh, especially in this, this, this time?
2: Well, that was exactly the question I asked when I interviewed for this job. Uh, <laughs> I, I was very honest, I said, I, I don't get it. I am used to the hospitals fighting with the manufacturers and with the health plans and not a lot of collaboration. But the message for our organization is if the private sector does not check their weapons at the door periodically and collaborate to find solutions to the problems that we have in the healthcare system, um, then we're going to wind up with a government solution to those problems that often won't foster the innovation. and the quality of care that people are looking for. So better that we work together, figure out these big issues uh, and come to the government, come to Congress with a solution, rather than just saying, no, don't do this, don't do that. So we do, it's a very high level, but really looking at what we want the healthcare system to be. And that is one that is very patient centered, uh, that looks for value, improving quality, um, and extremely patient-centered. I always tell my staff, uh, any position we take, if you can't tell me why it's good for patients and consumers, then we shouldn't be taking that position. Um, so that really guides uh, our activities here at the Healthcare Leadership Council.
1: That's that's interesting. I mean, it makes sense, right? But the the common theme there is both the the both the carriers, the health plans, and the the, the providers, everybody needs the consumers, right? That's the, the reason they're yes. here. So uh, that's a great shared uh, shared space. Um, and, and some of the issues you've touched on already, interoperability, also trans, transparency, um, they've actually also uh, uh, spanned across the aisle as well, right? From a bipartisan um, standpoint.
2: Absolutely. And, and I should mention that we really work uh, with both sides of the aisle. Uh, Again, it's hard to come up with an appropriate solution if you don't have uh, both parties on board with it. And so we won't see, I don't think, a a big change in anything that we're doing as we work with a a new administration and a new Congress, Um, but certainly making sure that you have government on board, that you have members of Congress on board. We're fortunate in the area of health information technology Uh, we have seen a lot of bipartisan support for it. Um, I've jokingly said at times to people that are working on legislation, um, if you put technology in the name of your bill, I think you have a better chance at success, (laughs) Um, because I think members of Congress want to be with it.
1: (laughs) Very good. And that touches on another question I had. Um, Certainly, the Certainly, the the organization is a is a lobbying organization. They're they're actually advocating for specific bills, right? The Healthcare Leadership Council. How, what does that lobbying look like? I think we all have this image of lobbyists as uh, uh, you know uh, at the bar having a five hundred dollar martini and shaking the hands of congressmen. Is that is that, how, uh, is that how you roll there, Mary?
2: Well, well, you sound like um, taxi drivers that I've had who, when I tell <laughs> them what I do, I'm a lobbyist, they ask if my parents know what I do for a living. Um, yeah. Kidding aside, uh, a lobbyist, and actually it was John Kennedy that um, came up with this definition, that lobbyists really are educators. Um, we have the most current information about our industry, Um, We're not looking at two-year-old Medicare cost reports for data. We can give you the current data. And that is the information that we share with members of Congress and with regulators. Now, I always tell people, um, you have to be absolutely sure that, yes, it's expected that you will put your spin on your particular issue as you're advocating for your members. Um, But if you do not tell the truth... Uh, I can guarantee you that a member of Congress or their staff will not let you darken their door again. So it's a delicate balance, providing that education, but also making your arguments in a very persuasive way to best represent uh, your constituency before Congress and before the agencies.
1: Very good. Excellent. I appreciate that. So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Mary Greeley, President of the Healthcare Leadership Council. Uh, I'd like to ask Mary um, how the COVID pandemic has impacted some of her legislative initiatives. But for now, let's take a quick break and we'll hear from our producer, Michael McNutt.
0: In reaction to the recent reports that healthcare organizations are at greater risk of ransomware attacks, Weedy invites all healthcare and security professionals to our latest virtual program. Prepare and Protect the Threat of Ransomware to the U.S. Health Industry, a free one-day virtual educational event on December 16th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. This program is free for anyone in the industry to attend. Join us as a collection of cybersecurity subject matter experts offer educational sessions with the latest updates on the threat, how to prepare your organization, lessons learned from those who have experienced a ransomware incident, and how to respond practically and legally. For more information, please visit weedy.org.
1: We're back and we're talking with Mary Greeley, president of Healthcare Leadership Council on another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a WEEDY podcast. So Mary, we're we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, How has that impacted some of your uh, legislative initiatives? I know that um, social determinants of health has been another thing that your organization has been concerned about.
2: Right. And I think everyone would agree that this pandemic has highlighted and in many ways exacerbated uh, the health disparities that we were aware of, but I believe this brought this into rather clear, shocking focus uh, that we really need to address these issues. We've been working on social determinants of health, and I've been very pleased that there's been a lot of bipartisan support Um, I was concerned that perhaps fiscal conservatives might view providing nutrition, providing transportation, providing adequate housing, uh, as not really being medical expenditures and that we shouldn't be using Medicare or Medicaid funding. Um, However, I think everyone's done a good job of um, educating people that we can get better outcomes, we can save money by making sure we do these interventions and create the the healthiest environment um, for patients and consumers to prevent development of diabetes or at least impede the progression of that disease. So a lot of good work going on there um, as part of, as I said, the the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly highlighted the need to do it. And we're seeing a lot of steps being taken um, to do that.
1: And and do you feel that um, I mean social determinants of health is one thing, and you talked about interoperability. Certainly, the pandemic has shown some gaps um, that are needed in data exchange and and the inequities of of, of healthcare access. Um, but in another way, has the pandemic so pushed the providers uh, into a corner in terms of the financial impact they've had and just the, 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 the sense of exhaustion that I'm getting from them. Is there, is there, has the pandemic pushed those back even as they've accentuated uh, what the gaps are in our healthcare?
2: Well, what's been interesting, maybe switch subjects a little bit here or focus, that those providers that were fully invested in the fee-for-service approach versus those that had moved to a value-based payment where they were receiving a per month, per capita payment. Those value-based providers did much, much better during Mm -hmm. this pandemic in a financial sense because they didn't depend on volume. Um, It was shocking to see the drop in admissions for elective procedures uh, during the pandemic. And we're still seeing that to some extent. And that was just a tremendous financial hit to those hospitals. Um And so you've seen Congress step in and provide financial relief, but uh, no one was prepared for that kind of economic downturn and economic hit that they took um, immediately and, and so widespread. Um, so touching on the whole data exchange, you know, I if nothing else, I think this has reinforced the need for better interoperability, for better use of electronic health records. Uh, We can do such a better job of early warning systems in terms of a pandemic, because you can look at those electronic health records, see that data, you can look at claims data, just a whole array of things um, that using information technology, we can extract that information and really step in and prevent things from getting worse, or perhaps heading them off entirely. So I think this is really um, taught people that we need to keep moving uh, towards this goal of um, interoperability and certainly using data analytics to improve um, health care for everyone.
1: Right, right. I'm going to I'm going to switch back to something that we talked about a little earlier but your your healthcare leadership council you put out a statement after the death of George Floyd in June and in it you you made a connection between the institutional racism and the inequalities in healthcare. Uh talk to us a little bit more about that.
2: You know, I think we're all learning much more about You know, we think of access and coverage. We've spent a lot of time trying to expand health insurance coverage for people and making sure they have access to healthcare. But I think the next step to that is what type of healthcare are they accessing and are we making it easily available? And so we're beginning to see this movement of going outside of the typical healthcare setting. Um, One of our members is CVS, and they have, as I'm sure you're well aware, really gotten into providing community-based health resources um, for the population that they're so close to. I mean, drugstores are everywhere, and the use of community health workers, so those that are really familiar with the community and the needs of that community. So. To me, it's just a whole new view of what access to healthcare really means and making sure that we're providing you know, those preventive services um, to improve the health of various communities. But I, as you mentioned, I think the George Floyd incident uh, really has put a different lens that everyone is looking through now uh, and making sure that we're much more sensitive about those disparities in health care access, and delivery.
1: Right. Um, yeah. I want to break away from your, your immediate work uh, for a moment and just talk to someone who is, has lived and breathed healthcare policy and law over over many decades. Any, any broader ideas on, on where you think our healthcare system is headed? What's it gonna look like in five, 10 years?
2: Well, I'm hoping that we'll be moving to a wellness system rather than a sick care system Mm -hmm. where we're really targeting prevention. We're really focusing on those chronic diseases like diabetes, um, where we're also looking at how can we minimize heart disease. We've made great progress there. And then I think in a really exciting way, how we are using innovation to make diseases like cancer more like a chronic disease now Um, and I hope we don't lose that innovation and we've seen a great example of it as we've been developing vaccines uh, during this pandemic Uh, but to me it's we really need to focus on getting better outcomes for patients and consumers but doing a much better job of doing interventions early on so that they don't develop the diseases that are so chronic and, uh, or perhaps keep them from getting worse uh, than they are. It is amazing, uh, and I was shocked when I first read this statistic, but 80% of Medicare expenditures go towards the treatment of preventable chronic disease. And to be, as we're looking for ways to uh, provide better access and pay for that, um, that is what we should be targeting. It's better for patients, and it's certainly better for the fiscal soundness of the Medicare Trust Fund and the federal budget.
1: Right. That's interesting. So instead of co- talking about health care, maybe we talk, need to talk more about wellness. Yes. <laughs> um and uh, I think that you mentioned the vaccine. I think the vaccine is another example, and really, I think the pandemic's uh, a good example of how government and commercial works together. It's really uh, the warp speed uh, uh, program was really something where where you saw uh, the the the, car- the carrot being put out by the um, government and the and the vaccine um, chasing after it. And 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 I think we've seen that with. At least up to up up through uh, early uh, early summer, the the relief packages as well. But um, you have any comments on on how we've collaborated in the COVID nineteen?
2: Well, two ways we've seen collaboration. And uh, let me start at the very beginning of the pandemic, where there was this desperate need for uh, personal protective equipment, and you had the suppliers, manufacturers, you had the distributors and everyone trying to figure out who needs what, how do we get it to them, and asking competitors to share their information. And I give a lot of credit, Um, I'll just give a shout out to one of our members, Susan DeVore uh, with Premier Health, did an excellent job of working with the manufacturers, working with the distributors, and um, setting up an entity that would collect the information protect the proprietary nature of it but make sure that hospitals and others uh, were getting the equipment that they needed. Uh, They worked closely with HHS, so it was a a clear public-private sector uh, coordinated effort. Uh, We saw that in laboratory testing. Uh, Did not go well at first. Uh, The government was trying to do it all alone. They finally partnered with LabCorp and Quest and wound up doing a much better job. And then the vaccine I think is just a phenomenal story to tell about the power of innovation and government partnering with the private sector. Um, It was just 248 days ago that Operation Warp Speed began and we will probably get the approval of that first vaccine uh, next week and then several others right after that. Uh, So I hope it's something that we don't forget Um, The power of that partnership and the power of that creativity um, and everyone collaborating because it really did take a lot of, again, sharing of proprietary information and um, putting that aside to make sure we could solve this problem.
1: I, and that's a great point. When you talk about collaboration, you're not just talking the fact that they're sitting down in a room and trying to come up with solutions that collaboration really means, and your examples seem to show this, is giving up a little bit of your own needs and giving up a little bit of your own revenue, even if you will, uh, uh, to actually solve uh, shared problems.
2: Oh, absolutely. And uh, it, it's a, a stunning thing to watch, even among our membership. Uh, the different partnerships and collaborations between payers and providers um, that have developed. And at the end of the day, it's a win-win. Both have to give up something, but at the end of the day, if they can work together, share information, do what's best for their um, consumers, uh, they will wind up in a a better place than if we have government saying, we're going to have to cut payments to everyone um, to maintain the fiscal solvency of the Medicare trust fund. Much rather do it partnering um, and collaborating than waiting for government to step in and just make the cuts.
1: Absolutely, this has been such a great uh, conversation, Mary. It's such a, it's perfect for Thanksgiving week, and uh, and, and so many good stories amidst uh, so many dark days. So I very much appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, and really admire the work uh, that Weedy does. And we're uh, definitely a partner with you. So thank you for having me.
1: Good. I appreciate it. And and before we go, is there are there any resources uh, that you think people should look at, uh, websites or or look for uh, things coming down the road uh, uh, from your organization?
2: Yes, uh, we make all of our documents are available on our website, which is www.hlc.org. And so we'll be posting all of our work on disaster preparedness. We have a lot of information on social determinants of health and the work that we've done there as well.
1: Very good. Well, we'll look for your work on uh, disaster preparedness. And thank you. Uh, great discussion. This has been Mary Greeley with the President, uh, the President of Healthcare Leadership Council. Uh, one of Weedy's primary functions is to keep health plans and hospitals and other providers educated on health IT. Mary again, very much appreciate the time and expertise today, and we look forward to having you join us again.
2: Well, thank you and happy Thanksgiving.
1: <laughs> thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. This has been the collective voice of health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us, and be safe.